Well, have you ever felt naked or been naked? I mean, even saying that makes you feel uncomfortable. You're like, why is a preacher talking about being naked? Because we feel when we're naked, we're alone and ashamed. Bare is a word that's often used for naked as well. That there's not a place that we're kind of out in the open, that we're uncomfortable, that we're there by ourselves. And so when we are naked or feel naked, we're put in a position where we are naked, either emotionally or literally physically, you kind of feel by yourself. You feel like, I don't want to be here, like I'd kind of like to have some clothes on. (laughs) I'd like to be able to not be this way. That, Thank you. And there are times in our life where that's actually happened, and, and nakedness has been used throughout history to make us feel uncomfortable. So when you're in, you remember junior high, if you don't, if you blanked it out of your head, I have most of that, but you know, you went to PE the first time and you were already like super confident in your own body, and they made you take a shower with other people, very uncomfortable. And then for me in the military, they intentionally make you get naked in front of other people to embarrass you, to break you down, and to make you feel uncomfortable. That's the point of that. And Jesus, twice, of course, at least, was made to feel that way. He was God, as many passages tell us, but particularly Colossians chapter 1. He was God, very nature God, and he, as Philippians tells us in chapter 2, took off that godness and came, as we just celebrated, as a baby. And he was born, just like all babies are, with nothing, naked, bloody, with all that junk on him. And his mom cleaned him off, and he was naked. And then he died naked. Whenever you see a crucifix, he's got that little cloth on because they don't want you to see certain things. But Jesus was stripped of all of his clothing and was hung on a cross, naked. The Romans intentionally embarrassed you. Not only were they torturing you to death, but they wanted you to feel completely alone and exposed and out there. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning and kind of talk about that and then talk about how we can become clothed, how we can be new, if you will. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 5 Verses 1 through 4 says this We know that if the earthly tent which our house is torn down, we have a building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having it been put on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. We're going to stay in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to jump around the Bible a little bit, Hebrews chapter 11, if you want to follow along. But we're going to stay in, I'm sorry, in uh, 
in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, and I actually gave the wrong verses to the, yeah, so we're in 2 Corinthians 5, and uh, by the way, if you give the people the slides the wrong verses, they do what you tell them, so I apologize for that. So I'll read them, and uh, we're in 2 Corinthians. In this earthly tent, we groan, we make mistakes. <laughs> My back hurts. I'm trying to get back in shape, and you know what? I'm trying to get back in shape, and when I got up the other morning after working out, I went over to put my shoes on, and I could barely stand up. It's not supposed to be that, that way. But in this earthly tent, Paul, ta- calls, Paul calls this body a tent. We're, we're not in a house yet. We're in a tent, and tents rip easily. I don't know if you ever camped, but tents are not houses. I don't know, regardless of how nice the, ho- the tent is, Usually the water gets in somewhere. When you're sleeping on the ground, it's hard. If you're sleeping on an air mattress, you run out of air. You wake up on the ground anyways. It's hard to get too, too warm, even if you have one of those warm tents. Then they get too hot if you got the stove going. you got to open the flaps up. Tents are not houses. And so we groan. My, my sister-in-law's, I mean, sorry, my sister's father-in-law, has cancer. She's married to a preacher. It's not supposed to work that way. We're often told, wrongly, that, you know, if you follow God, it'll be great. But in this earthly life, we groan. Stuff has happened this last year for all of us that causes us to groan. Things haven't worked out. Things don't do exactly what we want them to do. We have had pain. We have had Loved ones, in some cases, pass away. They weren't supposed to. There were 203 murders in Washington, D.C., just down the road. 203 people that should still be here that were murdered. And murdered means that they didn't deserve to die. That they were killed for something. In this house, we groan. And the way that the human body generates desire and the way we meet that desire matters. Because we can either fulfill that desire in a way that hurts us and other people or we can fulfill that desire in a way that benefits us, glorifies God, and benefits other people. And so Paul moves on in 2 Corinthians 5, (laughs) verses six and seven, and he says, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that we are not at home in the body, but we are absent from the Lord, we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and we prefer to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Paul is actually saying he'd rather be dead (laughs) than to be here in this body. He's not saying that in some some sort of suicidal, morbid way, but he's just saying it's a a pain to be in this body sometimes. And that is one of the reasons I love Scripture, because it's so honest. If you actually read Scripture, it's really, really honest about how life is and how we are as humans and how we interact with the world. And what is going on? And, in, and Scripture tells us over and over, I mean, the Psalms, David says some crazy stuff in the Psalms. 
if you've ever read through some of those. He gets angry. He gets sad. He gets vindictive. He says nutso things about his enemies. <laughs> and God accepts all that stuff because God knows and we can see from Scripture that it's okay to have these emotions. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to hurt. And in fact, Paul says, it's okay to not even want to be here sometimes, but to want to be in heaven. But he says, that's not the case. That we walk, we walk by faith, not by sight. That we have all these examples throughout history of people that have taken the groaning, wanted to be in heaven, but have trusted in God, and gotten through it. And of course, there's, a, there's just all kinds of examples in Scripture. And again, if you look at, at Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to re read from that a, a little bit, but if you, if you read through that, some of those people, you're like, why are they even here in this list? Why is Samson in that list? Samson was a complete and total mess up. Samson did almost nothing right in his life. He was supposed to be taken as a, as a young child. He was a Nazarite, which means that he wasn't allowed to have any, uh, anything made from grapes, any alcohol. He was uh, not supposed to have his hair cut at all. So he did kind of both of those things, and he was supposed to remain clean. But he did none of that, except he did let his hair grow. So that was the one thing he did. But he liked Philistines, which are not Israelites, these really kind of evil people. He liked prostitutes. He was supposed to be a, a judge that was calling his people to follow God. Uh, that's what got him in trouble, by the way. That's when he, if you've read the story or heard the story, that's what got him in trouble was he liked this prostitute, and uh, she managed to sell him. Oddly enough, she liked money more than him. I'm, you know. And uh, Joe figure. And so she sells him out, and... He is then, his eyes are put out, and he does eventually repent. But he didn't repent kind of of his own volition, like God had to take everything away from him. And then he is the first suicide, he didn't have a bomb, but the first suicide killer, I guess, in, that we hear of in history. He pushed the uh, pillars of the Temple of Dagon down with all the Philistines in there, and they all died along with him. And he is in Hebrews chapter 11 as someone that the writer of Hebrews says, this guy is an example of faith. And you're like, really? And then if you read all the rest of those people, everybody, every one of them did dumb stuff. But the point is, in Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, all of these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from afar off, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Again, we groan. We're strangers. We're exiles. We don't really belong here. For those who say such things are making clear that they see and are looking for a country of their own. And indeed, if we've been thinking of the country which they went out, they would have an opportunity as return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be there called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We groan, but we walk by faith, not by sight. Looking into the future, it's not about us. It's about God. God is the one that justifies. God is the one that's prepared a city for us. God is the one that calls us. 
into our heavenly dwelling, away from this body of groaning and pain and nakedness and sickness. And every once in a while, C.S. Lewis does it, talks about it so well, he says with every once in a while, kind of out of the corner of our eyes, we glimpse heaven and we look and it's gone. And we have it in a relationship for a day or three years or 20 minutes. And we, we, we grab that when we see that fulfillment, that, that intimacy that Dave was talking about earlier, that we can have, that we can understand, that we can, we can be with Jesus. And in fact, it says, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside everything that drags us down. The message says, I love that. Which so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who what? Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. It's easy to grow weary and lose heart. There's a lot of bad stuff happening in this world. I confess, every, sometimes when I come home from work, I'm just scared. I have insight into what's really happening overseas, and it scares the living daylights out of me. I'm, I am actually terrified occasionally. And I have to remind myself God's in control. Jesus went before. He is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And I walk by faith, given the examples of those who have gone before me. Given the example of my grandfather and his father and my father, just in my own, genera in my own generation, my own memory. And then, Back through history, we have over and over again the examples of those that have been groaning but have walked by faith and not by sight. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17, Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new has come. And Paul could say that. Because you know what kind of a person he was? He was a kidnapper and a murderer. He, literally. Like, not some sort of, you know, metaphor. Like, Paul kidnapped and killed people because they followed this crazy cult leader who had called himself the Messiah, and they were trying to form their own cult inside of Judaism, and it deserved to be stamped out. That was Paul's attitude. And then he says, I met Jesus. And I don't think about Jesus in the same way. And I don't think about Jesus' followers in the same way. And thank goodness I don't have to think about myself in the same way. There's another passage where he calls himself the worst of sinners. 
And in, unless you were here this morning, and you know, don't raise your hand, you were a kidnapper and a murderer, you don't have Paul beat. He was worse than you are, than I am. Although that's not how sin works, but that's another sermon for another day. <laughs> But he says we don't look at those that have trusted in Jesus the same way we used to. We don't look at Jesus the same way, and we don't look at his followers the same way. They're new. If we've believed in Jesus, we look back at the groaning, we endure the groaning, we walk by faith, we walk not by sight, and we move on because of the new life, the new people that we have become. Romans chapter 6, Paul says, as we believe in Jesus and are baptized into him, we die to ourselves and are raised to walk in a newness of life. So as we're here in this new year, as we celebrate the new things, yeah, life sometimes stinks. That's okay. Scripture talks about that all the time. But we look forward to the home that we eventually have, to the bodies that we'll eventually get. And we don't recognize people, how they look or how they feel. We recognize them as new, as different, as alive in Christ, waiting for that time when Jesus will come, where we pass on and all things will be new and brilliant and awesome. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That verse there deserves another couple hours. Let's pray. Father, help us to endure, to focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we may go on to love and to know him and to become new. And it's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen.